0: the following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ in our new series, Identity Theft will do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Identity Matters Podcast. We're going to have a unique podcast tonight. We are going to be spending some time talking about Christmas versus Christ as life. Of course, everything that we attempt to talk about is through a Christ as life worldview. And what we really mean by that is that Christ's mind living inside you, if you truly believe that The life of Christ does live inside you, I'm not sure that he would set his mind aside when he came to indwelt you. I think you really did get the fullness of really who he is and what he has available to him. So he literally represents the full knowledge of the holy forever in the past and forever in the future. Hebrews 13.8 tells us that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's a lot of holy, godly knowledge. All of that is contained within the mind of Christ. So there are several passages that actually communicate to us that we have the mind of Christ living inside of us. Now, Honestly, very few preachers and teachers that I listen to spend that much time talking about the mind of Christ. I do hear a lot of quality preachers and teachers talking about being Christ-like. I mean, they're in our Christmas songs galore, is to be Christ-like, not necessarily to release his life. Now, here is another thing that we need to think about. The condition of the world, the condition of Jesus' parents, the environment that they were faced with, the circumstances that they were faced with, were certainly not those that we would see of someone who is about ready to birth a king. So a question I ask you is... Why is it that God the Father set things up in such a way that his birth would not be acknowledged or seen by others or celebrated? And then today, it was until two years ago the most money-producing holiday in the world. Halloween has beat them out, but Christmas has become one of the most popular holidays and celebrated by more people than any other holiday that we have. How did it go from humble beginnings to the world making such a big deal about it? Now with this generation, we're on this cutting edge of them removing Christ from this holiday. And that's why they're referring to it as a holiday. But see, that won't work either because holiday means a day from holy. You see, no matter how they try to rework it, they're not going to get Christ completely removed out of anything. But this present generation is moving the people and the masses away from even acknowledging that Christ had anything to do with this event. And we really do need to ask ourselves, did or would Christ want us to make a big deal about this season? So in, in reviewing that piece alone, it leaves us with some very significant questions. Now another thing I want you to think about before we get into the message is why does the world and has the world for almost 2,000 years now at least since the Catholic Church started it as a holiday, a holy day that the whole world openly accepted the fact of Jesus' birth versus the number one thing that is fought today in religious wars. And that is the reality that they don't want Christ spoken, let alone accepting the fact that he is the Savior to the world. So how can they accept a baby and put these little nativity scenes out on the lawn and make movies and sing songs and whatever about this baby Jesus, but yet he is the most rejected human that ever lived and ever will live as an adult. Literally left to himself aside from his mother and the beloved John and Mary Magdalene. There's things that don't match up in our culture today when it comes to this holiday. And we're going to talk about those tonight. Last week, if you remember, we revealed the diversity of the two trees. We made a pretty good list of what really is dangling from the tree of knowledge. And we also talked about really what is the blessing, the feeding that we get from the tree of life. But one thing we didn't spend much time talking about, and that is you cannot even get close to the tree of life unless you're indwelt by Jesus Christ. So you can stand over by the tree of knowledge and admire all of the fruit of the Spirit on the tree of life, but you will not be able to approach that tree. So it's going to leave us with another question of how in the world are we going to train our children from the tree of life if they're unsaved? How's this going to be done? And that is what this series is about is to talk about the practical elements of how to actually train doctrines into your children so that when they grow up they will not part from them. It will be those very things that you embedded into that child's life that will lead them to the tree to go through the eye of the tree, become indwelt by Christ and everything that is true about the tree of life will become what is true about that new believer. Not 17 years after they are a believer. Not after they read Oswald Chambers for seven years in a row. Not after they memorize scriptures out of their Bibles. No, instantly after they pass through this passage called being born again, you inherit the entire knowledge of the holy. Now which pieces does he allow you to understand, that's up to the Holy Spirit because only the Holy Spirit can bring understanding to the indwell believers. So we have some fun things to talk about in this series. We're also going to make our transition starting the first of the year into talking about the Zers. We have opened a brand new podcast. It's already up and running, loaded, and ready for you to listen to 16 different podcasts on Generation Z. So, those of you who've been kind of tracking our, our messages here, the podcast, you've been tracking under Oh My God, My Child is a Millennialist. We have converted and changed those over to be under what we are calling Z Pod. Z-Pod is going to be put out there as far and fast and use as many networks as we possibly can to get not just our teachings on Z-Pod of dealing with the millennials and, the, and their children, which is Generation Z, but there's going to be other speakers that we are going to put into Z-Pod through their teaching videos and their sermons that they're going to be preaching so Zpod can become a source place for Zers to actually go see what the older generation is talking about. So we're very excited about. It. We have a dedicated website where three of us ministries are going to work together: Barna Group, and Impact 360, and IOM America are going to start piling as much as we can into this. These web pages that are going to become resources for parents and their baby Z's. So it's exciting. Check it out. It's on our website. After we repair the damage that was done onto it today, we'll get it repaired and it'll be better yet. I promise you. That's just the way it goes. Someone tries to destroy something. God births something rather spectacular from that distress, just like pain in our lives. We also talked about the, the tree of knowledge being humanism, logic, self-actualization, religious thought, independent thinking. Then we talked about the tree of life being, being creationism, faith, Christ's actualization, Christ's thoughts, dependent thinking, and of course the problem that exists from those who are stuck in between of the two. Those are called Christians, Christ followers, people who are stuck between the two trees. Then there are those who love hanging out at the tree of knowledge and they could care less about what Christ has to say. And then there are true and believers who live and breathe and drink through the tree of life. Okay, let's launch this. Are we worshiping a baby or an indwelling Savior? You know, some of you know that I am an artist, and I almost pinned up the paper, the canvas, this past week to do a picture that I have been fighting and warring with for a very long time. And a friend finally encouraged me, you have to do this work. And the picture in my mind is a picture of a baby crucified to a cross with the title Christmas. Now that's about as bizarre as you can get. And that's why I've been holding off on doing this for a very long time. But see, this is what Christmas does to me. It it puts me in this position of going, Really? Everyone's making such a big fuss over this baby. And of course, the baby's always the cutest baby on the face of the earth. And all the pictures that you see are typically, you know, almost angelic type with glowing and angels floating around and you know, this was a very, very poverty-stricken scene. He was born with a bunch of animals because no one had the compassion to have Mary birth in any of their homes. And the Lord reminded me as I was preparing this message this week, things have not changed at all, there's still no room in the inn. For well over 90% of the entire world's population, they're still not letting him in. But you know, when Christmas comes, they'll sing a few songs about baby Jesus. And you know, the manger song and the Many other songs that talk about this child being given to us, and you'll find God haters going to church on Christmas once a year. They'll go to church on Christmas, and you turn around and look at them, and they're kind of singing these, a child is born song. And they despise him and hate him, and their lifestyle proves it. We have turned into a very sick society. So seriously, are you worshiping a baby or an indwelling Savior? And the answer to that question is more simple than the question itself. You see, the answer to the question is, is it easier for you to make a bigger deal about Christmas once a year than it is to make a big deal about the life of Christ throughout the year. That's the proof in the pudding. And only you can answer that question. So when we look at the world as a whole and, and, and say, okay, we understand as all believers why you can make such a big deal about a baby, but yet... You reject the idea, thought of talking about the indwelling Savior who is here, who's living inside believers, to actually want to live out his dominion through the believers to actually save people that are going to hell if they don't make room in the end. That's our reality. The story of Christmas is being lived out through the believer every single moment of their lives things have not changed the only people that were at that birth are the ones who cared and those shepherds that were brought to it to verify were considered witnesses because Hebrew law requires witnesses of any birth into the hebrew lineage and it was usually a patriarch of the family so this is a critical piece in us understanding really what are we facing in our culture today in regard to christmas isaiah 7:14 tells us this this is an amazing absolutely amazing prophecy I mean, even in the New Testament in Matthew it talks about Peter actually referred to Isaiah as the great and mighty prophet. So, Isaiah was picked for a specific reason. And when Isaiah went out there to preach and proclaim the prophetic elements of what God gave him, I don't think he was pleasant to listen to. I don't. And here's what he said to the people, he says, therefore the Lord himself, who is, of course, Father Jehovah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Sign of what? For what? What do we need a sign for? Because the Jews have been waiting for a Messiah for many, many years. And the New Testament tells us that signs are for weak people. Do you understand that? If you're praying for miracles, see miracles and signs and wonders, the Word tells us, through Paul, that they're for weak people. So when you look around the world today and see all of these, these Christians always into how they feel and labeling it Jesus said to me they're they're into seeing things or or interpreting some guy's dream or reality experience of going to heaven for 90 seconds and then come back and they have a, a devotional and a video series and a Bible study and whatever I'm like who are we worshiping here? That's the crazy things we do because we are weak people that need signs. I don't want signs. I get enough of them. I want faith. I want a solid understanding of who Christ is in me and if he says it, I do it. And the times that I don't, I want to know it. I don't want to be able to have to roar with, was that me or was that Jesus? I should know it instantly when it was me, using my own mind. And here we have Isaiah proclaiming this sign to these, these Hebrew people who have been begging and pleading for a Savior. And all of the hellish things that God allowed the Hebrew people to go through for so many years. Of course they were begging for a Savior. And then when a guy like Moses showed up, they thought, oh, he's it. And then some of the prophets, and they showed up, they go, oh, he's it. When John the Baptist showed up, he got accused with that label too. He's it. No, the one that you are waiting for is going to be born, conceived by God through a virgin. It's right there in front of us. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Well, the definition of Emmanuel is God is with us. And that's the number one message that the Hebrew people would sing write about poems endless, hundreds, thousands of years is God is with us. It's in their music today. It's in their reciting of their words. God is with us. And they don't even know who he is yet. Now some do, many do. They're called messianic Jews. You see, there was a special assignment given to Jesus by way of a name that is not a part of Emmanuel. And I'm going to show you that tonight. This is a very, very important piece of true history you need to make note of tonight. And if you use it as most are using it, that Emmanuel means Jesus and Jesus means Emmanuel and Jesus means Messiah, but yet that, no they don't. Jesus has been assigned 225 names. These are just three of them. And each one of the names, as we know, names are given to children to communicate character. The Hebrews were a little more strict, and they would give names to their children, and that is what they had to do as adults. That will never go over in a millennial generation. My name is Stephen, which means crowned one. Now you think Crown One would be some kind of loyalty or something? No, it's not. It is becoming coming out victoriously after being tortured, stoned. Your name means something. The name Mary, for example, is one of the most mysterious names that have ever hit the the. Uh, lineage of people's lives, as names and labels entitled, and Mary means bitter water. But for some reason when Jesus would refer to his mother Mary, there was a new definition give to, given to Mary, Redeemed woman. Now can you imagine being the mother of Jesus Christ and your name means bitter water? Jesus was born from bitterness. You see, all these names are very important to God, and that's why Matthew literally listed them out, name by name, all the way down to Jesus Christ. And then we have Emmanuel. Let's look at pictorial Hebrew. Hebrew. Pictorial Hebrew for Emmanuel. We have the symbols here which are Av, Mem, Kaf, Vav, Aleph, and Lamed. Of course, we read Hebrews backward. So the symbol you're seeing on the right is Ayin, which means to see, to know, to experience, then is liquid, massive, or chaos. The actual picture, an pictorial, is an ocean. They're drawing waves of an ocean. It is, it's turbulent. Christ is about to be born in some of the greatest turbulent times in history. To try to find English words to describe Herod and his family, we wouldn't even get close. He was born in one of the most corrupt times for Jerusalem. And it would literally be a setup for his own sorrow. Then we have kaf, which means to cover, open, or allow. It's like an open palm. And that's how you remember the definitions of these letters. It's a, the original picture is a picture of an open palm. Which is where we get Palm Sunday. From that symbol. All of them are connected. The gospel of Jesus Christ was put into the language that God established with the first people. Then we have Vav, which is add, secure, and the word end. The actual symbol for Av is a nail. It's like the symbol that we talked about for Torah is the Hebrew symbol of a cross. Why in the world would God put the cross... Symbolize the law, it's because the law killed Jesus. Do you understand that? He was pinned to the law in order to fulfill it. All of this is in the Old Testament. Then we have Aleph, which is strength, leader, or first, and the word picture is an ox, which was the strongest animal for the Hebrew people to describe. And finally, Lamed means control, authority, or tongue. The actual symbol is a goad. A goad is thy rod and thy staff it comfort me. And the rod is nothing more than a thorn stick taken off of a thorn bush and they would swat the sheep with that and it would get them motivated. Thy rod, thy staff, was, as the wood was still moist, they would bend that branch and let it dry until it formed a hook, which is one of the Hebrew letters in the Hebrew alphabet, hooked. It means sin. You've been hooked. Now on God's side of becoming the staff and thy rod it comfort me, the hook is used to hook around the sheep and pull them away from danger. The rod was used for a spanking and the staff was used to keep them away from the wolves or dangerous terrain or whatever the case may be. These are all from Hebrew symbols. God was very simple-minded with these ignorant humans. We think in pictures, not in words. It's the Greeks that changed that for us where we had to start memorizing letters and the letters didn't look like anything out of a picture book they just had to be memorized let's take Emmanuel here's our our raw definitions of each letter and here's what we get to see no and experience chaos that comes with deep waters by allowing the nail to open the way to secure the Torah, fulfilling the law, of the first leader of authority, Messiah, to be the staff that saves. That thing is packed with the gospel. You see, he became the staff. His birth was the staff. His second coming is going to be the rod. Do you understand that? And that for us, that rod and thy staff, it must comfort us. I fear some of my relatives getting the rod in the end because they would not submit to the staff. But Emmanuel means Savior, staff. The graciousness of God hooking and bringing you away from danger and destruction. The wolf. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.